Hey, Edgy Gladiators, Marlena here. And tonight we are actually going to talk about parents. So if you've been wondering how to strengthen that connection between parents and schools and really empower that dynamic between teachers and parents, then you definitely don't want to miss tonight. If you're watching the recording of this podcast, even better, feel free to spread it around because tonight's podcast is definitely going to be a game changer. We are so excited to have as our parent expert tonight and also our guest moderator from this past Saturday's chat, Daniel Patterson, Huffington Post contributor and also LA Times columnist on, guess what, parenting. Daniel, say hello to everyone and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me tonight. Uh, like she said, I, I am a writer and I, I also work with families in the consulting realm just helping students and parents sort of reach their full capacity within education i just recently left the brick and mortar education of 15 years working with teenagers and transitioned more into uh writing i do have a weekly column in the la times on parenting and contribute to the huffington post and my passion points within writing are engaged in responsible parenting um, how do you maintain a mental and healthy a vibrant student who's successful in living their own truth and not being sort of master created and uh, how can schools and parents work together to produce an authentic teenager. Awesome, Daniel. Again, we're excited to have you here. And, uh, you know, if you're watching this podcast live, especially if you're watching live, feel free to use the chat, the live chat window and put your questions there or your comments. Uh, there, if you have questions for Daniel or thoughts, we will be referring to those and we'll, we'll try to answer each and every one of those during our time together tonight. I know that uh, definitely as a former principal and, and teacher, of course, that, you know, sometimes it's really some people be dealing with our parents um, in a negative way when really I've always felt that they're our best advocates. They know they are experts in their in their child. And so uh, I really wanted to do this podcast and this chat series so we can really talk about and spread the positivity of having great parental support. But Daniel, when you and I were chatting about, uh, you know, about this topic and what exactly we wanted to address, you came up with a great title, Permission to Parent. So before we jump into the school connection, let's just talk really briefly about what does it mean to be a parent in this day and age, particularly of Generation Z students? I think it's tremendously difficult to be um, an engaged parent today without being like an overstimulated, overworried, overstressed parent, because just like your own teenagers, you're getting inundated with information and data and news and stories and pictures of other family and they look so perfect and their kids going here and doing this. And it's left with a feeling like, oh, maybe I'm not doing enough. So you start to push and push and push and instead of just embracing your own parenting and your family paradigm and who you wanna be and the values that sort of run your household, it's easy to get caught up in what other people are doing. And uh, particularly with having a teenager today, Teens really, they, they can't fail in private. Everything, every accomplishment, every failure is for the world to see. And even if they don't advertise it themselves, let's say they don't make a basketball team, 
Well, other people know because they know who made the team. So just by that advertisement throughout Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, kids don't have a way to fail in private. And I think by osmosis and out of love, parents absorb that stress and that pressure. So it becomes this compounding journey to create perfection um, when really perfection isn't the goal. I think capacity is the goal. We all have a, a ceiling that we've been blessed with and some of us can be really good at something and some can be some good at something else, right? But maybe not the two. So I think as a parent, even myself, I struggle with that comparing my own children to my neighbor's children or our friend's children. It's hard. Absolutely, absolutely. And I love the title because in your title for the chat and also for tonight, it's permission to parent. And so why do you think parents need permission to be a parent? Uh, because it's hard to assert yourself in little situations when it would be easier just to cave in. And, you know, you're busy, you work, your kids, you, they're already stressed out. You, you want to make them happy. And so by making them happy, it's easy to do that by just providing them with things and experiences. And it becomes fast forward, fast forward. I like to say that right now in a lot of affluent communities, um, high school is the new college because so many experiences are being given to them early as a reward for their high performance and as a validation of their hard work. So permission to parent is, look, you can slow it down. You can bring it back down to basics and let them be that age. They're only going to be 14 once. They're only going to be 15 once. So they need you. Um, and the other thing is just working as a, an administrator and a teacher for so long, the common denominator with kids who are high-performing, excelling, 5.0 varsity athlete, and a kid nearly dropping out of school, suffering from addiction, they felt like their parents weren't engaged or involved in the right way or for the right reason, and that they weren't really actively invested in what they were doing. They were more invested in who they wanted their kid to be and not who their kid was. So permission to parent. I'm the parent. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about technology and, and social media, I think that adds a, another layer of complexity in parenting. I know just in my personal experience, just uh, just from the middle school level, and I'll just start there is, you know, every every year I would, you know, have our open house, our parent night, and I would empower and I would tell parents like I'm empowering you uh, to to be their parent, not their friend. Right. They have enough friends already, you know, and, and in my particular schools, I'm over 1200 kids there, they have plenty of friends, but I needed them to be a parent, especially uh, when it came to the social media and the technology and to, to lead by example. How have you, um, how have you dealt with, uh, or how have you supported or guided parents in dealing with that social media aspect? Because as a former school principal, you know, Kids are going to be kids and they're going to make right. mistakes with social media and we're and we use that as teachable moments but again that extra layer of complexity when we're helping our parents understand that and to model great digital citizenship what do you suggest what well i think the modeling for one is super important i i think the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and some of the content that gets posted on social media and kids look to the parents to see what's appropriate and not appropriate i think that goes with anything that they might do.
But I also think that social media is just a manifestation of how well the parent is able to instill and articulate that family value and the family paradigm in their child. I think social media is an extension of how well the child understands what is expected of them as a person. And so, yes, you can put something on the phone and completely monitor their device. I, don't, I wouldn't suggest that because you can't unsee what you'll see and you won't unknow what you'll know. And I don't think you want to know all of those things. Maybe if there's some crazy experience and you have a good reason to, for sure. But I would just um, try to parent from a position where you're letting them know that everything they put on social media stays on social media. I think with a lot of like Instagram Live now or Snapchat, there's a perception that everything can go away. There's still screenshots and there's still ways to get it. If things went really sideways and, and it went to the next degree, they could be found. Um, and cyberbullying, I think as it leaks down into the school system, even from outside, you're starting to see more um, suspensions and high profile cases with cyberbullying. So as a parent, I think social media is one arm of many different focal points, but the, the factor is instilling that strong moral compass and having them understand that if they leave their lane, what's gonna happen? If you build a fence, they play in the yard. So what happens when they leave that fence as a parent, I think you need to be consistent with that, including social media. Absolutely. And again, if you're watching live tonight, please put in your questions that you might have for Daniel, uh, your thoughts, uh, or any resources that you have that you found very useful in your experience as an educator in uh, strengthening this parent and school connection. And, you know, and speaking of that, you know, that's what our, our topic for tonight truly is about, is strengthening that connection between parents and between teachers and, and it could be hard because as teachers we have a view of their kid uh, and I always say it's a different kid at home than it is at school normally including my own children I like to think that they're you know perfect angels but I know better uh, I see one side of them at home and their teachers see another side and hopefully they kind of mesh up together but but not always so how do we how do we Daniel uh, how do we get our parents involved in the education of their children without being overbearing, without being helicopter, but being just enough what our kids need? Um, that's a great question. If I knew the total answer to that, I would be on a yacht somewhere. <laughs> but I think uh, if you had to boil it down, I think it's providing parents with clear ways to be positively involved. I think there's two kinds of parents that, you, I mean, there's lots of kinds of parents, but in this situation, you might have the overly involved parent that will come high into the right, they're super intense, they, they're not quite sure how to get their point across, so they're going to go any channel they can until they feel heard. And then there's the, the parent over here who feels completely disenfranchised and just gives up, right? So both of those groups of people, if you figure out a way to provide them with a way to validate their feedback and communication and include them, would be great assets to, to the school community. So I think teaching parents how to get involved, but then you also, you have to have meaningful ways for them to get involved. So I think showing them that it's not just an event where we're trying to raise $100,000, so we want you to be there, or we need all these envelopes stuffed with report cards, so we need you to be there. It's little moments in between where maybe we're just having a think tank, we're, we're looking at redoing our bell schedule, and, and we wanna know from a parent perspective what works with your work schedule? What would it make 
how would it make your life easier? Just ways to validate them and bring them into the fold. Um, short of that, I think just transparency of communication. If parents feel like they don't understand how to communicate with the school, how to communicate with the teacher, how to see the grades, things like that, I think that can lead to frustration. And when we don't want them to like go crazy and check their grades every two minutes, we do want to provide them with an opportunity to be engaged and understand what's going on. Absolutely. I know definitely with my time as a middle school and high school, but especially a middle school principal, you know, the kids would do things throughout the day. And, and, and definitely as an administrator, as a teacher, then also as an administrator, it's it's definitely a judgment call on us uh, if it is egregious enough to right. uh, notify parents. But one thing I would always tell parents, you know, again, at that beginning time and even throughout the year is that we want to let we want to give your kids room to be kids and make mistakes and learn from their mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and being able to move forward in school and, um, and, and giving them that chance to, to do better. Like when you know better, you should do better, right? Maya Angelou said that. So we want to give them that opportunity to do that. But it's not about reporting to the parents every single thing that they do, especially in middle and uh, in high school. We have to give them room to make mistakes and grow and learn. But how do we... How do we partner with our parents to to have to let the kids have that autonomy both at home and at school, uh, so they can learn from those mistakes and from their experiences? Well, I think one thing, uh, one strategy that schools and parents can partner with is moving away from the overemphasis of product. You know, we're a very product-driven society. The final results, the final report card, the final uh, citizenship grades or how their behavior was or the final college acceptance list. You know, we get really set on that. Um, but if we can both partner on process, you know, are you providing them with a place and a time and an expectation to study? Are you making sure that they're well rested, that they're not overly social, that they're having good behaviors? Um, in making good choices. And, and when they're not, just like the school, the school doesn't need to know everything that the child does over the weekend and they get in trouble. And the parents, vice versa, don't need to know every little thing that the kid does at school. But together, if we have the same sort of philosophy that we're, we're focusing on the process of building a good person who can be uh, sufficiently like self-reliant once they get out of the house and out of the school and into college or into the workforce, I think that is the common way that parents and schools can work together. What that looks like is very unique to the child. You know, um, it could be something like the school knows that this child really, their family has an expectation that they go to Ivy League, okay? And so they're registering for classes. And this family wants that kid to take five AP classes. Mm -hmm. But this school knows that that's gonna put that child mentally, emotionally, uh, it will fatigue them. It, they don't need to take all of those courses. So it's figuring out how to have a dialogue where, yes, we are preparing them for the process of getting to where you need them to go, but the product doesn't have to be five AP classes. The product could be doing really well in three of them and continuing to play their sport and do community service and be more of a whole person rather than a sort of like a one-trick student. I love that. Uh, we have Tracy, and if you see me look to this side, I'm looking at the live chat on my laptop. I have all this technology around me. So 
uh, Tracy uh, from Nantucket uh, put in the live chat that, you know, these are great ideas for middle and high school, mm-hmm. but she thinks that a piece of the parent education and the partnership needs to start in the elementary level at the elementary level and to structure these relationships from the start. So yeah. how can we, how, what tips do you have for, for educators to be able to help parents, I would assume, have a gradual release uh, in such a way to build that autonomy even as early as the elementary level? Well, I think just it's in the same concept that we educate. You know, we start math with simple concepts in kindergarten, and they go all the way up to AP calculus. So, but it's still math, okay? So the, the relationship with parents and students and parents and teachers or expected or defined avenues for involvement at an elementary level should be the same as the high school. They just maybe to a lesser t- degree. My daughter, her kindergarten class is three hours a day, right? So in looking for ways to get involved but not wanting to be involved in the politics, having just left a comprehensive school, I just volunteer on the class, in the classroom every other Friday. So, but even to learn how to do that, I, I had to go learn how to do that. There was nothing, there was no sign up. There was not really a clear way necessarily. So I sort of had to poke around to figure out. So I think at an elementary level, a lot of these are new parents. You know, they're, they're, the first kid is new to the school. They've never had a, a child in school. So at an elementary level for a school, from a school perspective, I think making it really clear how they can be involved or what the expectations are. Um, Jessica Leahy uh, wrote a book called The Gift of Failure, and I recorded a podcast with her, and she came and spoke here in Newport, and she talks about you know working in proximity with your little one. So a lot of the questions that they ask as a little child are things that they will figure out on their own, but they just want that comfort of proximity. So you know, chopping vegetables, making dinner, and they're at the kitchen table, and they ask you a question, and you say, oh, hold on, you know, hold on, I'm just chopping this onion. I, and then by the time you're finished chopping the onion, they figured it out. So I think in, this, in a certain sense, from an elementary, we assume that parents know how to be involved, but they really don't. I'm a perfect example. I was a high school administrator, and I had no idea how to get involved with my daughter's kindergarten class. Wow. You know, one thing you said in that in that sharing just now that really stuck out to me was that it wasn't communicated clearly to you how to be involved. And one of the questions that you posed on Saturday was about communication and, and what are the best ways or, you know, asking folks to share how they communicate with parents. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that communication piece with parents, particularly if you have working parents? Right. I think a great way a really simple way to communicate important information from an elementary school to a parent is to make it a homework assignment where the child has to articulate the message in a creative way to their parents and the parents have to initial that they've received that information. I mean, elementary pairs a lot of practical skills with assignments where they have to write a sentence about what they did over the weekend. So something that's gonna connect the school with the parent in a you're sort of killing two birds with one stone you're going to somehow weave in what they're learning about with what they want the parent to know i don't think that you know every parent has twitter and not every parent you know i get an all call on my cell phone 
and I don't know that I've ever listened to any of them. Because, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. One, I know that my wife will listen to them. Um, but also, for me, that just is such an impersonal way to get information. Um, it just it just feels almost, I don't want to say rude, but it's just so impersonal. I just, well, I guess they're just checking a box that they communicated with me, but I'm not really certain they actually want me to know. Mm -hmm. so. I like that. Uh, I like that. So maybe some ways, I, and I think in the chat, when I was looking at the chat from Saturday, a lot of folks were saying that you need various ways to communicate with your parents, which yeah. I, I think is true because everybody uh, receives information and prefers to receive it in a different way. So for some, it is the social media. Uh, mm -hmm. Others, it is having, uh, whether it's uh, uh, coffee at the school. I think you might have mentioned, uh, right. what did you mention, like coffee we, our, with the counselors? Yeah, our, our school at one point was doing coffee with the counselors at mid-morning once a month, just as a way as a touchstone. There was not a, a particular agenda per se, but just a way to be able to sort of triage um, the dissemination of information that didn't get out or to clarify questions that weren't super crucial, but maybe would be just good PR to, you, you want to remain approachable and have ways to have that basic human face-to-face -face interaction. I think especially with the parents still are old school and that they want that, you know, that face-to-face. I'm perfectly content with like a remind text or remind 101, or if you're going to use Schoology or any of those other platforms to get information back and forth, but um, it were a defined one thing that we just did at my last high school was um, have a really clear way for parents to make appointments because rather than just doing a drive-by, you know, they're they come into the office, they're hot, they want to they want to see someone now, but they couldn't. Okay, well, if I knew how to make an appointment before I came here and so implementing a, a, a more clear way to have appointments or to make appointments is also an effective way. You know one of the things that uh, several of my teachers uh, did particularly in, in the middle school uh, where I finished up was and, and we talked about how do we get our, our parents more involved how do we get the conversation between parents and their child to be more than how was your day at school mm -hmm. eh, it was all right or what y'all do today nothing so we right. started sending home uh, conversation starters. For instance, uh, in the in the um, newsletter or the weekly email or what have you, my teachers would actually put like, okay, here's some conversation starters about what, what your child will be learning this week. And so here's some great questions right. to ask them, uh, you know, this week about what's going on. And also here are the answers the older they get, you know, it's been a long time since our parents have been middle schoolers or high schoolers. So we would also include the answers. Right. Yeah. New math. It's New math. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what, it was really great. I had, we had great feedback from our parents that said, you know, I could talk to my kids about specifics of what they were learning in class. The kids would also ask, how did you know that? You know, right. even though the teachers would post on their websites, on their websites, you know, what, what they were going over. It gave the parents a chance to say, I'm your mom or your, I'm your dad. I know everything. Right, uh, right. There's yeah. still some power in that, I believe. Right. But <laughs> we would have those conversation starters. And then uh, I like what you said about appointments. One thing that uh, I never shied away from as a teacher nor as a principal is if a parent has a, an issue, a concern, a question, call me. 
Uh, right. If you want to come see me, come see me. I always made time for that because I believe that in our digital world, we've lost the art of conversation and right. we communicate better in person, you know, with teachers and what have you, but everything can't be said in an email because you can't necessarily uh, understand the tone oh, or yeah. you can tone, misinterpret tone. Tone is horrible because an email, especially when it's adversarial, you assume that the other person's tone matches your own mood, right? So if you're fired up, you think they're being rude. If you aren't, you think they're being polite. Maybe they are being rude, you know? So I think a lot of those face-to-face -face interactions save un unneeded uh, emotion, uh, stress, uh, things like that, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, and another uh, idea for those that are watching or listening that was very helpful for me is, you know, I would tell my parents that, you know, because we do have email, we do have social media, you know, we want to be available as much as possible. But of course, you know, we all have our own families too. But that if something is bothering them and it's after hours, it's in the, you know, the evening, go ahead and, and write that email or, or just say, hey, can you call me tomorrow? You know, um, so that parent can get that out and, and start kind of processing and releasing that. And I would tell my parents that, you know, if you email me like at nine o'clock at night, cause you just found out something, maybe your child just told you about something that was bothering them or going on, um, that that's totally fine. And I will, you know, I will definitely get to it in the morning. And a lot of times I would say, well, Hey, I just got your email. Why don't you come on in and let's talk about it. Or I can give you a call and let's talk about it. And same for the teachers. Um, cause I think that communication piece is so key. Well, and then, go ahead. Oh, one of the um, tips I, I give parents, though, especially as you get into high school, and I think applicable to middle school, I have a 45-minute rule that I suggest, and that is when your, your high schooler comes home from school, you aren't allowed to talk about school for 45 minutes. Because I know when I get done with work and I walk in the house, I don't want to talk all about work. And so you need that time to decompress. So if your child knows, as soon as you walk, they walk in the house, what is this missing assignment? What is this? Uh, uh, they're not going to have any communication with you. In fact, they're going to try anything to avoid you. They're going to go up to their room. They're going to pretend that they have something to do because they don't want to feel like school just went from school to home. So I think providing them with some decompression um, helps the parent maybe be less emotional about it because maybe that parent's been looking at that quiz score all day. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that student has gone through six or eight classes. They've gone to practice they, or they've gone to rehearsal. Um, maybe they have a part-time job. Maybe they had the club meeting or whatever. They've just had an incredibly long day um, pleasing a lot of different adults. And so we find ourselves focusing on what they didn't do well without looking at the other 80% of things they did really well. And so that 45 minute rule, I think just allows kids to know when they get home, I can just put down my stuff and I can take a shower and I can have dinner. And then if we need to talk about school, then we can talk about school, but it's not gonna be an ambush every time I come home. I love that. Uh, and that sounds very similar. Uh, I coach sports, you know, as a teacher and, and you know, we'd always, we'd always tell our parents as a coach, like, you know, if you're, especially if your kid lost, don't go in on them as soon as the game is over or on the car ride home. Do not go in on them on the car ride home because they're beating themselves up enough, you know, uh, and yeah. trying to figure out. And I love that 45 minute rule because that reminds me 
you know, of that rule. And, and I've shared that with, with my parents. I've, I've shared that, um, you know, on that car ride home, you know, that might not be the best time to talk about a sporting event, but I like that idea. Same thing for uh, your teenagers, especially if they've had a tough day. Yeah. And I think that ignoring them for 45 minutes isn't the answer. And then going all in the 46, I think learning to talk to them about other things for 45 minutes and then you can come into school. Um, because while school is a big part of their life, it is only part of their life. Absolutely. You know, one of your questions from Saturday uh, really hit home, I thought, with a lot of folks participating in the chat. It was your third question, and you asked, how do you build trust with your teenage students in order to open lines of communication with them? Uh, oftentimes, you know, at school, we are their parents. You know, all the educators are their parents. And how do we open lines of communication with our students so we build trust with them, uh, especially if it's social pressures, family dynamics, whatever, because if they're distracted, they're not going to learn. So how do we do that? Well, I think kids can see they have a very good detector of authenticity from adults, especially teachers. I think every time I've heard, oh, that teacher doesn't really like kids or me or you know, they're fairly accurate in their assessment, even though as an administrator, I would smile and deny quite, oh, no, that's not true. But really, they were pretty spot on. Um, so I think showing a general investment in them is, again, talking to them about things appropriately that aren't just about academics. So um, and drawing out information that can then be brought up later, like if you have a writing assignment, I was an English teacher. So trying to have ownership where they're picking something to write about autobiographically where they can highlight something that they're proud of so that you have a great reflection point. I also think that I was able to really form great relationships with my students was being invested in them outside of the classroom. So if they played basketball, going to the basketball game, I still um, work with high school seniors today who will be like, I saw so-and-so at Ralph's or at the supermarket and they're just, mesmerized by that person, that teacher being in public. And I'm like, well, you know, they eat and they have, <laughs> they have to shop for food, you know? So, but anytime that you can sort of mix it up and, and show yourself out of context is a great way to um, get them to know that you care about them. Because once they know that you care about them, then they will, they will accept you. I, I always said, if, if I can get them to laugh, I can get them to learn. And so if you could connect on, on a, in a way that really made them that authentic laugh where they're just dying, just hysterically crying, then, then you circle back and you go right into the academics. And so sometimes you just have to skip some really formal warm-up for what I would almost call like a little bit of a monologue, just kind of talking about my own self and I would tell stories about me and how what a mess I was as a child and they give a little funny stories just to make myself relatable vulnerable um, and they're like okay well this guy isn't just here to grade my papers he's here to really um, you know get to know who I am so that was my strategy I think for every teacher it's a little bit different but I would say find time to have vested interest in what they do outside of the classroom let them know about you and and go see them do what they do and all in an appropriate and professional context. I love that. I love if you can get them to laugh, you can get them to learn. Right. Uh, I, I really, really love that because learning should be fun. 
Yeah. Learning should be fun. You know, when I think about, and I know you can relate having a kindergartner and now I have my last two almost out of high school. When I think about my experience as a, in kindergarten and in elementary, it was so fun. My teacher laughed, we played games, we sang songs, we joked around. And I don't know why that has to stop in middle school or in high school. Like it still should be fun. You still should be laughing. You still should be singing songs. And, right. and through, through college, I think my best professors were professors who were human, who could, who could really capitalize an opportunity to create a moment that was memorable, not just for academic reasons, but just in the sense that here we are together having a shared experience that's powerful. Yes, it's within the context of education, which is wonderful, but really it was just a human experience. And I think, yeah, you don't need to lose that as the older you get. And there's no, I don't know why you would want to teach if you can't laugh and smile and you know, make fun of yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and also too, I think it's really important as we talk about parenting, uh, for parents, parenting to their teens and us as teachers or our principals having to be that parent figure during the school day for kids, I think right. it's really important too that they know, and you mentioned it before that you care. I'm going to go a step further. I think it's okay for, and I, I think your kids should know that you love them. You know, I would actually tell my students high school and middle school alike, and of course elementary when I was an administrator at the elementary, it's very easy to do because they grab your leg and say, I love you. <laughs> and as they wipe their snot on your, on your pant leg, but uh, in middle and high school, I think it's okay to say that. And they need to know that, not only do you care, but you truly love them. And I know that's something that I endeavored to always tell my kids. I told them we are the rainbow coalition, you know, in the school because I loved each and every one of them and would treat them as if they were my own children because they were definitely from, you know, 7 a.m. till 4 or 5 p.m. They most most wholeheartedly were my children and and that I loved them and I had ex high expectations for them. So, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think you've touched on a really good point where schools, I think to articulate that love, not just through the curricular standpoint though, is to actually on the intervention, behavioral, mental health, substance abuse, um, truancy, cyberbullying, because uh, the best way to show them that you love them is to, is to treat those issues uniquely to that child and to that family and to really dig down deep and figure out what's the best plan for this child. Yes, I could suspend them for five days. That does nothing. It create, puts a Band-Aid for a minute and nobody wins. So I think that's another way to show love is to really look at how is your school and how are parents addressing, you know, crises with these students where they're, they're essentially screaming for help with their behaviors. Um, and we, we sort of still are going through this motion of a really old school way, you know, education is changing and morphing and getting super progressive. It's almost sort of like a Starbucks model in that you can kind of pick and choose what you want and put it all together. And we're having real life this and real life that. And then our discipline is like miles, miles behind, miles behind. If, if a student is failing math, you tutor them. If they're failing life, we punish them. So, there's gotta Ooh, be. Oh, that's deep. I like that. <laughs> there's gotta be a way to reinvent that and to and to articulate love through our response to intervention. It shouldn't just be in the context of academics. It should be in the context of of behavior. 
absolutely. Uh, Tracy's on fire tonight in the chat. And, and one thing that she shared that uh, adds a comment to what we've been talking about, what we've been sharing about is that um, fun and engaging is not the experience that many of the parents had themselves. And I think that as we talk about this permission to parent right. and empowering this connection, we have to remember that not school is the common experience for mm -hmm. Americans. Right. We don't we don't exclude any of our kids when we educate, unlike some countries that we're beating ourselves up over to right. test better. Well, they're only not all those kids go to school in that country. We educate right. everyone in our country. Everyone is entitled and we endeavor to be uh, everything to everybody in public education. And I love that. But we have to remember that parents still view sometimes their child's experiences through their past, through their eyes. And, and, and it's important that we spend as much time educating our parents as we do our kids. And, and that's, that's, that's a hefty responsibility, but our kids are worth it. Absolutely. I think, yeah, you're you, that living vicariously through school. I mean, parents could have a negative connotation with school. It didn't, they didn't like it. They got, kicked out, they were bullied, et cetera. They moved, maybe they're military and they moved a ton. So they never really had deep connections with anybody. So uh, oftentimes, again, with no vehicle in which to express those concerns or to feel invested in a school community as a parent, they're left to their own devices, which oftentimes is pulling marionette strings of their own student to try to make them have this uh, like utopian experience that's not gonna be sustainable in college and certainly not in life. So you get, um, a lot of permissive behaviors like I'm going to let them party because I want them to be popular. Or, I don't really care if they drink as long as they have a 4.0 or I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure, uh, you know, hire 90 tutors um, to get them to a threshold. So they'll get into a college that's really not necessarily intellectually for them. I think there's a saying uh, that college admissions is a match to be made and not a contest to be won. And I think a lot of times we we miss the mark on that as parents. Absolutely, I, I love that. I love and agree with everything uh, you said. This this entire uh, time together has been so enlightening. And you know, as we, I think as educators, we do a really great job in general of trying to build relationships. Of course, there's always room to grow, but how I know that I've reached a child and how I think many educators know is that when something serious is going on in that child's life and they mm -hmm. choose to come to you because you're a safe place for them. That's right. Because you've built that relationship, you've built that communication with them. Heck, they're with you seven, eight, nine hours, sometimes 10 if you're at the high school level, you know, with you more as much as, as they're with their parents. Um, how do you handle, how do educators handle when students are sharing um, uh, personal, deeply personal things with them, how do we still maintain that student's trust? And then of course, let the parents know uh, if, if it's, especially if it's something uh, very serious that we definitely need to partner with our parents on. Uh, yeah, that's a slippery slope when you start getting information that could be in the realm of mandated reporting and things that you really need to protect your student, but also protect your own professionalism and your own liability. Um, but I would say that's a great time to broach, to bring in the psychologist, to bring in a trained professional within the family dynamic or mental health, a school district psychologist or some sites have them 
to do some mediation. Um, and also understanding that just like we're asking our parents not to be friends with their students, we sometimes have to sacrifice their short-term appreciation or love for us as educators with their well-being and the, and the forethought that what I'm doing for them now is a gift and they're going to be mad at me. Well, you know what? Great. Because in 10 years from now, when you've dealt with this issue and you're healthy and you'll thank me, or maybe you won't, but at least I know that I've done the right thing. So I think in the same spirit that we ask parents not to be friends, we also have to live that own truth. And that's uncomfortable because you want to protect them all, but sometimes protecting them means divulging things that they would prefer you didn't. Absolutely. And, and if ever in doubt, uh, for those of you that are listening, whether it's live or, or you're listening to uh, the recording or the replay of this, definitely, especially as a teacher, you know, you have so many pressures on you already, you know, and, and just so many plates that are spinning. Uh, again, if any time a student uh, shares with you um, a serious situation, don't feel like you are by yourself. Right. Uh, walk them to the counselor's office or walk them to the principal's office. You know, I think that's a great time to, to you know, knock on your neighbor, your neighboring teacher's door and say, hey, can you watch my class for a second? I'm going to take take the student to the office or take them to the counselor and, and staying in your lane as letting those professionals. That's what they went to school for. Deal right. with those uh, deal with those serious topics and, and thank the student for confiding in you and that you're there for them and you're going to make sure that they receive the help that they need. And ultimately that student's telling you because they, they know that they need help and they want help and they're coming to you for a reason. So when you go to someone for help, you have to trust that they're gonna make the best decision for you. Um, I also just overarching theme with parents and schools is I really believe that parents are great advocates, they're great allies. And I think focusing as a school site or school community on really reframing the, the relationship with parents and trying to coalesce parents and teachers and figure out better, more transparent, well-defined ways to get involved um, within the context of how much time you can give or what kind of priorities you have as a parent. Maybe you aren't a kind of person that's going to give money, but you want to give your time. So I think parents get, they go sideways sometimes, but it's out of love because they love their child. And often they act out just like a kid would act out because they're not quite certain how to get where they need to go. And so even if they come in hot and high and to the right, uh, you just have to understand most times it's coming from a good place. And with a little time and dialogue, certainly you can, you can make your way to a good relationship. Absolutely. Again, if you're watching live, please be sure to uh, put into the live chat any questions that you have for Daniel. Uh, as we're nearing the end of our time together tonight. And I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to hear directly from our expert here. Daniel, switching gears a little bit. All right. Who's your superhero? Who's your favorite superhero? Oh, I don't know who my, I would say in the context of my childhood, the person that I looked up to, to the most that wasn't a family member was the tennis player, Pete Sampras, which is completely out of left wow. field. But, he just has an incredible story and, uh, you know, his parents were immigrants and he was basically self-driven, self-made tennis professional. And he was somebody that I always followed passionately, you know, watched everything that he did. That and I was really kind of obsessed with Zorro. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think he's a superhero, but I'm pretty sure. Sword, he's, tennis racket, it's all the same, right? I'm pretty sure Zoro is pretty awesome. Uh, so I don't have a great answer for that, but. No, I'll that's the perfect answer. Ah. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Daniel is an avid tennis player. And uh, from what I hear, a very great tennis player. <laughs> and as much smack as I like to talk, I am not talking smack to you, Daniel. I'm not going to okay. challenge you to a game in tennis at all because he can, he can play, you guys. He can really play. <laughs> Hey, Daniel, everybody has a great story of what brought them to education. And even though you have continued to evolve to support uh, schools and districts, particularly in parenting and, and in guidance in that way, what brought you to education? What made you or inspired you to become a gladiator for students? Well, I, you know, I just really appreciate the sense of community that schools provide and Reflecting back, I, I think I can almost name every single teacher I had from kindergarten through high school. Um, and they all had a great impact. I mean, some of them were maybe I didn't prefer them at the time, but now in hindsight, I just felt like school always provided, a, the, the classroom setting always provided a very safe place and a, connect, a place to feel connected and validated. Um, super awkward kid. And so I, you know, excelled academically in ways that I couldn't excel socially, perhaps. So school always felt like a natural fit for me where I could be that for somebody else. You know, I could believe in somebody that, in the way that some of these people believed in me. My dad was a principal, my mom was a teacher. It was pretty much uh, ingrained as, a, not like you should be a teacher, it was just the lifestyle and the whole commitment to community and kids was, uh, I guess it was very attractive, I liked it. I love that answer. I love that answer. My mom is a retired principal and I actually told her I would never be a teacher, never be crazy enough to especially teach middle school like she did and be a principal at a middle school. And she laughs at me daily. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she does. Hey, we have a question from our chat that I want to make sure uh, that we answer, that you have a chance to answer. Tracy asked um, when we were talking about being role models on social media, mm -hmm. What, what are some suggestions that you have to help guide parents to be role models on social media? Well, the first and most obvious is not to be mean. Uh, it's pretty easy to be mean, uh, even in the context of a, our current climate in our country and what you may like or dislike. I think it's a good modeling to show uh, an articulate response to any sort of situation rather than uh, gunning from the hip with too much emotion. Um, and also just how much you rely on it for your sources of information or your sources of self-worth. I think um, varying what you post and, and sort of shows what's important to you and who you are. So as a parent, I think if you put too much stock in social media, in terms of validating who you are as a person, then your children will pick up on that. From a school perspective, I think there's certain school leaders and principals who do a really good job um, modeling the power of social media and creating hashtags for their schools that the teachers can use and parents can look at and parents can use. Um, I, I like to use local principal here, Todd Schmidt, T.S. Schmitty on Twitter. Um, yeah. He's a princi principal at Harborview elementary, I mean, I think single-handedly he shifted the entire way that our district uses social media or used social media to communicate with their community. So 
from a parent standpoint and a school leadership standpoint, I think responsible, consistent, and unemotional use. Absolutely. I love that. Hey, Daniel, if others that are watching either live or watching the replay of this podcast, if they'd like to get in touch with you, what's the best way that they can do so? Well, you can uh, check out my website, uh, pattersonperspective.com is uh holds all of my articles from the Huffington Post and the LA Times and different podcasts I've recorded. Or you can follow me on Twitter, and my handle is at CDMVEEP, which is a V-E-E-P, or um, on Facebook, I suppose. Uh, you can, but all of that from my website, you can get anywhere you need to be. I'd love to connect with anybody that has any questions or wants to follow up or needs any insight about how to make their parent community more cohesive with their school's goals. I love that. And also, if you have signed up for your free newsletter and updates with Edgy Gladiators, in this week's edition, we also featured one of Daniel's articles from the Huffington Post on how to have how to develop a resilient team. You remember that one, Daniel? That's right. Five steps closer to a more resilient team. There you my, go. That was my most successful article last year. Oh, that was one of my favorites. And so that is also featured and also has uh, in our newsletter uh, links to your website, Daniel, and also how to contact you and follow up with you. If you are not receiving the Edge of Gladiators updates and weekly newsletter, then be sure to go to our website, www.edugladiators.com and sign up for your free newsletter and resources as well so you can stay in, uh, stay in the loop of what's going on with Edge of Gladiators. We want to be more than a hashtag, and it's great resources that we share, great connections that we build as we continue to usher in this new era of leadership, of engagement, and advocacy for our students and also for our profession in general.